So today we're, we're kicking off three, part three of our series as we look at ways that we can reset and how God does that for us. We, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the service, but I'll, I'll drive it home one, one more time. You look at ways that we can reset or make New Year's resolutions. Um, I just want to communicate, this is not a how-to series, or this isn't a making your life better for you series, or even a make your life better for other people series. This is lining up your life to give glory to God series. And while there's a lot of practical advice from the world, um, finally our, our drive comes from what God says in his word, and so that's going to be our basis for today. So today in part three, we're, we're diving into the emotional part of us and the, the heart issues that we need to wrestle with. And as I was getting ready for, for today, as throughout the week I was just praying, I, I, need, I need a story, I need an illustration that will really help me communicate what it's like to change the heart. And so I was praying all week, this is kind of a dangerous thing and reset thing, you know, praying, God, give me a way to, to illustrate this. And he, he gave me an illustration on Friday. So our, one of our cars is 15 years old, the service engine light came on, you know, what could it be? Um, I take the car out, out to the uh, parts store up the road. I give them my driver's license. They give me their little computer to run the diagnostic, okay? So I go out to my car, I plug it in, I'm running this thing, I get the error codes, I'll figure it out, I write them down. And then it asks me, would you like to reset? I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm going to reset my little car computer. So I reset it. And then I look at it again. Okay, no more error codes. Awesome. I'll see if they come back on and if it's a real error to begin with. So then I think, okay, let me see. I still have the, the computer. I, I'm thinking, let me see if it worked. So I take the keys, put them in the ignition again. You know, doesn't start. Doesn't start. Try to get. Doesn't start. I'm like, my goodness! It, it ran just a minute ago when I pulled up here. Okay, so I know it can't be anything too bad. And I keep, I keep trying to figure out. Finally, the guy comes out of the store to help someone else, and then he comes over to my car and he's like, "Is everything okay?" I, and I probably have this like high-pitched girly voice. No, it's not okay. <laughs> this is, it was just running a minute ago, and I plugged in your computer, and now it's broken. He's like, "Oh, it can't be my computer." I'm like, "It's got to be your computer." So he's looking around on it, and he's playing around the computer, and you know he can't see anything. I try to start again. Nothing. Dead. We're looking at everything. We pull out all the, 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 um, the fuses. You know, we look at underneath the hood. I don't know why. We checked the air filter. It has nothing to do with starting the car. But we checked everything out, and we couldn't figure it out. And I tried again. Nothing. Like, man. So there was only one other thing I could think of. Maybe it needed a hard reset where you take all the power out of the system, you take the power away from the computer, basically you unplug the car so that it resets to, to its default. And you know how to do that? You unplug the battery. So you take the battery terminal off, you know, I held it for 10 seconds, put it back on, plug it back in, went back to the car. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's a four-cylinder, so it didn't really sound like that. But. <laughs> But it started up, and I'm like, thank you, God. I'll never ask you for another illustration again. <laughs> but I think that gets to the heart of what we're doing today. We're, we're talking about emotions and matters of the heart. How do you reset that? It's the equivalent of taking the battery terminal off a car, letting it completely, you got to get down to the basic, in, in electronic terms, it's, it's resetting to factory defaults, right? If, if we're meddling with things of the emotion or things of the heart, we have to get pretty deep. And I'll be honest right away, a lot of this stuff is stuff that I lean on a lot wiser people than myself to understand the, you know, the emotional workings. I say other people, I mean women. They understand this stuff a lot better than we do. But I'm going to lean on some other wisdom that other people have, have relayed to me. But at the same time, there's some neat places 
where a lot of this common sense stuff is illustrated and reinforced by what we see in the Bible. There, there's, there's a flowchart I'm going to share with you here on the screen. And this flowchart, you know, this extensive flowchart, it, it maps out how your emotions work and how your emotions impact your daily life. So if you're ready for the extensive flowchart, this is not my making, this is someone else. Here it is. This is how your emotions work. I'm sorry, we'll get there in a second. That's a little teaser. First of all, going back to that main thought, a set heart is hard to reset. Kind of has a, a swing to it. A set heart is hard to reset. In order to do it, you have to go way down deep and understand how your emotions work. And then you have to let God, pray for God to help you align them better. That's what we're going to do uh, throughout the, this, this, this day as, as we go through this section here. What I want you to be able to do is, is understand how your emotions work, how they're, guiding your inf- how they're guiding your behavior, and then be able to make some, some resets as needed. So like I said, I'm going to put up a flow chart, a very deep, extensive flow chart. This is how your feelings work. Four words. And this is not mine. I got this from other people who are smarter than me. You're thinking, if Pastor Matt can't come up with four words, wow. Here are four words that help. There's an event that leads to a thought that leads to a feeling that leads to a behavior. I'll, I'll illustrate this real quickly. It's something that happened to me recently. I was in the Austin airport heading back up to, to Minneapolis, and there was this long line of people waiting to check in their luggage because the counter hadn't opened yet. Some guy comes from outside. He walks right past the line and stands in the front. Cuts in front of everybody. That's the event. If you're standing there and if he cuts you off, what are you thinking? What's your thought? Go ahead. <laughs> You're not going to share it. <laughs> You're thinking, jerk. You're thinking, fool. Those are the two words we can say in church. You, you, you encounter an event like this, and it gets you thinking, but that guy, you know, there's got to be something wrong with him. He's a jerk. He's a fool. You know, insert your word, whatever. That's your thought. That leads to a feeling. What's the feeling? Anger. Anger. There's not a really a, an English word for this, but there's that feeling where I feel like I need to put on my judge robe and tell him what he did wrong. You know, it's, I don't, there's not really a feeling or a word for that, but you know, there's this anger. I have to do something. And that leads to behavior. What did Pastor Matt do? <laughs> That's what you think of me. I did not yell. I, I, I'm more of the stewer. I'm the ruminator, which, which, you know, you let it boil up, but that's not healthy either. But other behaviors, you know, you could clear your throat, <clears throat> you know, getting, getting his attention. Or if finally, some people would be so bold as to say, sir, here's the line. This is where you belong. You know, so there's different behaviors, and this, this plays out maybe hundreds of times every day. They could be big things. They could be little things. But there's an event that leads to a thought, that leads to a feeling, that guides your behavior. And today we're going to look at those first two specifically, the events and the thoughts in your life. And we're going to look at a, a section here in just a second, but first of all, you see this played out thousands of times, hundreds of times in the Bible itself. I did a real quick search on the, just the word thought. And what I found was there's all sorts of events in the Bible that made people think something. And then they felt something, and then they did something. You see this all over the place. There's lots of examples. One example could be David and Goliath. Okay? David hears this giant uh, verbally abusing the army of God. Uh, tempting or uh, testing them, seeing if they would fight him. What does David think about this event? He thinks nobody can stand up to the army of God. This guy, he can't do this. And what feeling does he have then? 
He has confidence. He, he has courage. And then the behavior is he gets his sling and a few small stones and he stands up against that giant. By the way, he wins. Sorry, spoiler. He wins. You see this time and time again. You know, the thing about David and Goliath, maybe we don't relate so well to him because I don't know if I would have reacted to that event the same way. I don't know if I would have thought the same thing. There's another person in the Bible that we would relate better with, and we're going to dig into his story right now. His name is Elijah. He was a prophet, about 900 B.C. And the thing about Elijah, he's this superhero of a guy. He's like one, he's the top prophet of the Old Testament. He's, the, he's like the model, the, the, the super, superhero. At the same time, he had a lot of emotional issues going on at one part in his life. And he got to a really, really, really low place. And as we pick that apart a little bit, it's, it's going to help us see how these events and these thoughts and these feelings and these behaviors can, can be reset for us too. Have you ever found that the, the lowest times in your life come right after the highest times? That's what happened to Elijah that we're going to see in just a little bit here. The high point of his life, maybe you heard this story in Sunday school or you've heard it before, but you know, Elijah had a very tough job because he was, was trying to get people to acknowledge who God was, but King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were endorsing the Baal religion for all the land. And so, you know, so many people were just were quiet about God and, and afraid of him. So, so finally, one day, Elijah challenged all the Baal prophets to the, mount, to the top of Mount Carmel, and they had this showdown. The Baal prophets had their altar, and Elijah had his altar. The Baal prophets were praying to their God that he would light the altar on fire. You remember this story? That, they would, that uh, the Baal would light his altar on fire, their altar on fire, and they, it wouldn't work. Their God was sleeping. He was on vacation or something. And then Elijah said one prayer. And boom, fire from heaven devoured his entire altar. And there were thousands of people watching. They said, yes, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And, and they cut down all of the Baal prophets that day, killed all of them. If you're Elijah, you're thinking, man, I finally did it. I finally got everybody back on track the way we should be. We finally got rid of all these Baal people, all these Baal prophets. We finally demonstrated with scientific proof that the Lord is God and not Baal. So the event is, Elijah had a great victory. The thought is, Elijah's thinking, I'm done. I won. And then do you know how he felt? He was on top of the world. He was confident. He was like David standing in front of Goliath. He was ready to do anything. And then the behavior that Elijah did, the behavior was he went to Jezreel right away. And Jezreel is where Ahab and Jezebel's palace was. He's thinking, I've already beat him. I've already demonstrated that my way is right. And so he is so confident that he steps in front of him. Here's where things get a little sticky for Elijah. He's on top of the world. He's about to go to the bottom. Um, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. Otherwise, there are a few of these words in your service folder also and on the screen. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 and 2. So this is after Mount Carmel, after all the Baal prophets were killed. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the Baal prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow 
I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now we can say that Jezebel had her emotional issues too, right? And the guys are saying, yeah, let's dig into that for a while, right? <laughs> she had her emotional issues. She was, her events weren't even matching up with reality. But the thing we're focusing on here is, is Elijah. You look at what Jezebel said to him. She didn't care what the events were. She didn't care that, that Elijah had just demonstrated that the Lord is God. She didn't care about that. She said, you have 24 hours to live, and you will die. It doesn't matter how many of my prophets you kill. It doesn't matter how many of the people are behind you, Elijah. I've decided I don't like you. You have 24 hours, then you'll be chopped up with a sword, just like the Baal prophets were. What does Elijah do? What do you do? Your government, your police, they, they, they just don't like you. They say, you got 24 hours, we're going to kill you. What do you do? You probably do what Elijah did. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Here's where you start to see the cycle, right? The event was a threat on his life. The thought was, there's no way I can get out of this. The feeling was he was afraid, and what was the behavior? He ran. Now, I'm going to place in some, some, some direct questions here that kind of get you thinking, not just about Elijah, but about you. What is the event that gets you afraid? What is the event that gets you to run? Maybe it's not being afraid. Maybe it's being angry. Maybe it's, it's being upset. Maybe it's, it's this lust thing or this coveting thing. What is it that gets you to feel that and then behave accordingly. What is that event? Uh, we're going to see how, how Elijah finishes this off first. Uh, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, we'll talk about that in a second, where it is. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Beersheba was not the middle of nowhere, but it was at the edge of the middle of nowhere. And we'll, we'll see that in just a second. So he's, he's traveling about as far as he can, and then it says he takes a day's journey beyond that into the desert. What, what's concerning about this? It's not just that he's down in the dumps. It's not just that he's afraid. Now he's taking it a step further by isolating himself. So I ask you again, what, what is the event that gets you to do that? to want to be by yourself, to isolate yourself, to do whatever you feel like you need to do, what is it? Now, before we look at the map here, notice Elijah is going off by himself a day's journey into the desert where there's no water, there's no food. He's going a day out there, which means if he's going to get back, if he's interested in staying alive, he's going to have to travel a day back. Let's look at the map to see where this stuff is. Red dot is Jezreel. That's also um, near where Mount Carmel is. And so that's where a lot of this stuff is happening with Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah. That yellow dot is where Beersheba is. And it might not come up too well on this map, but that yellow dot, beyond that, any further south, and there's no water. There's no green stuff. This is desert. So Elijah went to the end of the world. Then he went down further where nobody would be by himself isolated and it goes on 
he came to a broom tree. Now you're picturing a broom upside down in the desert. No, it's, it's, it's a glorified bush. It's not much of a tree. It's a scraggly little thing, hardly any shade to it. He came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Key in on those yellow words. I've had enough, Lord. Who's he putting the blame on? God. I've had enough. You've given me too much. You've given me events in my life that I can't possibly overcome. And remember, he's feeling frustrated. He's, he, th- he thought he won by killing all those Baal prophets. He thought he won by getting the favor of the people, but he still is losing. I've had enough. Blaming it on God. He says, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. You might be wondering, who are his ancestors? I'll tell you who his ancestors are. His ancestors are dead. They can't do much being dead. And Elijah is saying, I'm as good as them. I might as well be dead too. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And here's one of those moments where it, it, it starts to click here, that when we single out the emotional side of us and how it plays out in our life, it's not this isolated thing, but what happens to us emotionally has a carryover into what happens to us physically. And you can see this too with people who are in despair or people who are in depression. It's not just an emotional thing, but it has a physical result too. And the same thing the other way. What you do physically, how you reset physically will have an impact on you emotionally. And we'll talk more about that more in the next couple of weeks. But you see the depth that, that Elijah has fallen to right here. He's in a deep place of despair. He says that he's ready to die. As, as you look at all these things, there's, there's one thing that I really want to focus on. Today we're looking at the first two parts of this, the event and the thought. What is the event for you? Have you built up your life on this idea that it depends on your success, and as long as you're successful, then everything's good with God and everything's great? What happens if your success falls out? Is that going to be an event for you? Is the event something to do with anger? Is the event something to do with patience? That's mine. Is the event something to do with with coveting, with lust, with, with hatred? What is the event that starts you down a bad path that ends in bad behavior? Can you identify it? That's the second fill-in, the second key point I want to send home with you today. Figure out the events that trigger your thoughts, that trigger your feelings, and that trigger your behavior. Identify these key events, and is there something you can do about them? Here's where we start to get into fix-it mode, at least guys do. You're thinking, yeah, I, I know, I know my struggle, I know the emotion I'm dealing with, I know, the, I know what it is, and you're starting to think, okay, I think, I think maybe I can address this, I think maybe I can fix this. Here's where, again, if this might be the third, third time today I'm saying this, this is, again, where we try to base our relationship with God on how we do. And it's interesting, you know, Elijah's down in the dumps. Maybe, maybe at times in your life you feel down there too, emotionally. You feel, I can't get, it can't get any worse than this. I just feel horrible. You know, emotionally you're drained. What does God do to people who say stuff like Elijah did? 
I've had enough, God. You've given me too much. I'm down on Just let me die. How does God react to someone like that? I would imagine him to put on his cowboy boots and give you a big kick and say, get off the ground. Come on. Get with it. You think I'm not in control? Or you might think, okay, God would appear with, with some, some angel and he'd blast his trumpet right into your ear. Get with it. The rest of the story um, of Elijah tells us how does God deal with someone who's stuck because of an event that happened to them. And as we go on, we're going to see what happens to Elijah. So he's sleeping under the broom tree in the desert, no food, no water. All that once, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down. This is, this is cool. An angel appears, and he doesn't kick Elijah. He doesn't scream at Elijah. He doesn't blow his trumpet into Elijah's ear. He touches Elijah. Hey, get up. You need to eat. And then it happens again. Next verse. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Again, touched. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord like this in, in the Old Testament, a lot of times it, it seems that the way it's described and the, the things that the angel of the Lord is doing, it seems like this is God himself. Not just an angel that he's sending, but it's actually God himself present doing something. In fact, theologically we say this is the pre-incarnate Christ who has appeared. If you understand what that means or not. It's God present who's there to help. He doesn't kick. He doesn't scream. He doesn't holler. He doesn't tell Elijah, come on, get up. You know, I'm not paying you uh, to be a prophet for nothing. He, he touches. And you see Jesus doing this throughout the New Testament too. When, whenever people are, are sick, whenever people are dead even, whenever people are hurt, even if they're unclean, he touches, he touches, he touches. Because when God sees someone who is emotionally wrecked, he's gentle. He understands. He's there. He touches. And then what happens next is, is the way that he's going to help Elijah reset. And this is the way he's going to help you reset too. This is kind of the most important part here. Strengthened by that food, Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, this is how you reset. Huh? <laughs> Mount Horeb, traveling 40 days, 40 nights. Is this some sort of a fasting thing or a diet plan? No. Um, what, what's happening here is Mount Horeb is a very significant place. Something important happened there. By the way, do you know the other name for, for Mount Horeb? Uh, let's put it on a map. I'll show you where it is. So the green dot way down there, that's Mount Horeb, about 250 miles south of Beersheba, 40 days to get there. Another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Same place. Uh, I'm sorry, 500 years before Elijah was when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt. And they made their, their trip across the Red Sea, and God delivered them. And, and Mount Sinai, a.k.a. Mount Horeb, was their first main campground. That's sort of where they, they stopped, and they, they resettled, and they said, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to figure things out? And if you remember, Moses was on top of Mount Sinai with God. And you remember the conversation they had? 
Here, here's an excerpt from, from Exodus chapter 20. This is something God told Moses as God was setting up his people to be his own. Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 says, this is God speaking to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This was the place where God set his people the first time. And now this is the place where he's resetting Elijah emotionally. You look at these words. Here's what I want to drive home. This is basically God saying, hey, I'm your God. You're my people. And then he gives them ten commandments. Here's how to act like my people. Why is God so interested in them? What is it about Moses? What is it about the Israelites? What is it about Elijah that makes them so special? Is it that they threw away their idols? That's why God says, you're my people? No. Was it because they decided that to trust in God? Is that why he's their God? No. God says that the reason he's their God, the reason that he's their Lord, is for one reason. It's because of one event. He rescued them from Egypt. He saved them. Therefore, they belong to him. When he gauges his relationship with people and their value, it's not over the events that you do or the things that you do. There's one event that sets the standard. He chose the Israelites because he saved them and they were his people. That's what made them special. And it's the same thing with you. When God looks at you, when he establishes your value and why you have a relationship with him, it's because of one event. Fill in number three. Only one event affects the way God feels towards you. One event affects the way he thinks about you. One event affects the way he feels about you. One event affects the way he behaves towards you. That event didn't happen on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. It happened on a smaller mount just outside of Jerusalem where his son took all of your sin away all your guilt away, all your priorities that were way off, took it away, and he faced the punishment for them. This was God saving you to be his own. You look at all the events in your life, this is the one that we have to go back to all the time, the event that affects the way God views us, the way that God behaves towards us, is what Jesus did for you on the cross. And that sacrifice, that, that payment for sin, it was so important that God rose, raised his son from the dead three days later. Look at this. And from that time on, all, all, the, all the Christians, all the believers in the world, they went out, they had to tell people about this event that changes the way God views people, that changes the way he feels, that changes the way he behaves. I want you to let that sink down in your mind and think about that as we, all, as we wrap up here with point number four. Reset your heart by rethinking the event. It's got a double meaning to it. Rethink the event that God did for you to change everything. That's the one event that you base all your standards off of, all your thinking, all your, all your feeling, all of your behavior off of. That's the event that we look at. And in light of that, as you reset personally, maybe this is where you start to rethink the event that you know is tripping you up. 
Because here's the truth. I'll wrap up with this thought. What if, I say, I say if kind of loosely here, what if God was in control of every event in your life? What if everything, whether big or small, either he sends or he permits to happen because he knows that this is for the good? What if he controlled every event? How would you then think about those events? Whether it's a guy cutting in front of you, whether it's your car not starting in front of an auto parts store, what if he controlled it all? That's where I really want to start. We're going to take two weeks here to talk about the emotional side of us. We're going to finish off the, the, the look at, at Elijah next week. We're going to go ahead and see what God does to him on top of that mountain to help him reset emotionally because God is going to help him reshape his feelings and realign his behavior to do something else. But for now, I want you to stick on this thought, the event. Rethink God's event every time you find yourself in despair or in hatred or whatever your emotion may be. Rethink it. Then I want you to remember, there is no event outside of God's control. There's nothing that he permits that isn't for your good. Let's close off with a prayer today. Heavenly Father, we, we each wrestle with our own various issues and we all struggle emotionally in different ways, whether it's the way that we burst out or the way that we ruminate and let things stew inside of our hearts. As, as we seek to understand these things better, simply focus us on the, the one thing that, that change, changes everything and that is the suffering and death and resurrection of your Son. May all other events that happen to us, may they pale in comparison as that event shines over everything that happens. And help us to gauge our thoughts also, as, as we saw in, in Philippians chapter 4. Help us to, to see that everything that you allow can be for our good. Everything is excellent. Everything is praiseworthy because you are in control of everything. Give us that kind of confidence and knowledge, knowing that you control all things for our good and you direct all things for our eternal good. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus as we also join in the prayer that he taught us to pray.